0: It is another edition of the Commitment Issues Podcast. I'm Rob Cassidy, joined, as always, by Woody Womack, a wonderful co-host. How are you, Woody? How are things going?
1: Boy, busy busy weekend. You and I uh, were down there in Florida together, and then I was in Nashville, and now I'm back in Atlanta, and I will... Go down to Florida again in two days So uh, it's that time of year It seems like uh, we're going to be traveling every weekend now From here at least until mid-April, I think
0: Yeah, and that's kind of the byproduct product of the uh, camp season that you and I will be seeing a lot of each other and seeing a lot of players and coaches and 7-on-7 seven seven coaches and everybody else on the road. And I guess that's kind of where we'll start this week is kind of talking about the camp season and uh, how that plays into rankings and the rankings release at least that just came out. There's a new Rivals 250 and Rivals 100 on the website currently on Rivals.com and you can check that out and call us idiots or whatever if you disagree with the rankings, which I'm sure you do because everybody does. Uh, but i guess we'll just dive right into that what how did that go for you
1: seems like uh for an early rankings release people are extra angry at this point do you, do you think that's because they know the players more now or or what do you think i mean but basically i i felt like a lot of players players fans co-workers i feel like everybody uh was getting on my case today i
0: think that it's possible because players are more in tune with it. I think that's why we get the backlash from from players complaining about their rankings. I think maybe more than ever before. Uh, and, you know, with that probably brings increased fan interest. Um, you know, I think, you know, as much as people like to take pot shots at recruiting and recruiting coverage and, you know, as ridiculous as it can be sometimes, I'm not one that takes it too seriously. Uh, people still pay attention to it, you know. I mean, I mean, they definitely do.
1: We know you don't take it too. If, if anyone listens to this podcast, we know uh, you have your uh, your your struggles. But that it here's the thing: like you know, it's early. We know how much the rankings are going to change. I saw some people today saying, "Okay, the it's early. The early rankings are always bad." I mean, that, I I wouldn't say that. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean,
0: always bad is just saying you know I I don't always agree with them at first.
1: I think we need people to you know to realize that. Uh, like I just mentioned, we're, we're not going to be home for however many weeks in a row. And we're, the reason why is because we're out at events trying to see as many players as possible so those rankings can be as accurate as possible. So, I mean, hey, guess what? We're doing the best we can. I think, you know, this year's NFL draft is probably going to be, it might even be a record number of five stars drafted based on some of these early mocks that I've seen. I mean, of course, there's going to be some guys like the quarterback from North Dakota that – uh that people didn't know about coming out of high school. But I think for the most part, we're looking at a situation where a better part of half, half of the draft is going to be four or five star players in the first round this year. So, you know, I think I think there we're always exceptions. better There are
0: always exceptions to the rule. Uh, but I think last year's draft really kind of served our talking points. Um, I, it It's not easy to do. Are they 100% correct? No. Nothing like this can ever be. But they are, shockingly, right on. You know, When you do look at the percentages, you know, you've seen any number of stories written out there by third parties about this. And they, are, they are accurate. You can argue all you want. Maybe this is some like, back-patting, some self-back-patting. I'm breaking my arm, giving myself a pat on the back. But you, know, you can't argue with the facts. Well, so we, we've
1: started doing the rankings earlier and earlier. I mean, I think... When I first started or you and I both started the same week actually at rivals.com uh, back in 2012 and I believe that year we didn't do the first numerically ranked rivals 250 until this time this time right I mean it, uh, I think it was released in in February or March
0: Does yeah you, now we're it? already on our third right like this is the third time we've is this the second or the third time we've ranked 2017?
1: Now, this is, we did it, uh, I think we did it around the five-star challenge. We did the first list, and then we did it, we updated it again in August, and again in December, and then now. So, yeah, the third update, the fourth time. So, the the, the earlier we do it, the more changes you're going to see as things move along, because a lot changes. I mean, there are guys that, you know, when we did that first ranking, they might not have even played varsity, Uh, so... You know, I guess. I guess the 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 point of this whole discussion is read the rankings. You know, pay attention to them. But guess what? If you disagree with them, there's film, there's all kinds of stuff online. Uh, but we're doing the we're doing the best we can. And I, I I personally think our analyst team sees more players than anyone else in the industry that's doing the rankings, at least in person, uh, because of the Rivals Camp Series and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and this is maybe a pretty good segue into, you know, the reason we are doing these earlier and earlier is because, you know, that's kind of the way that college football is headed, A, uh, and B, because coaches are offering players earlier and earlier. We can have a whole discussion about that, and we will, uh, but, you know, and we can maybe base that on the fact that Miami has dished out two offers to... uh, eighth graders <laughs> did you like that you caught that into a little inside commitment issues joke
1: yeah geez. they did dish him out to two field stretching quarterbacks so yeah what's interesting <laughs> what's what's interesting is uh, now both of the quarterbacks are from Georgia so uh, unfortunately it's mainly my problem and actually when when Miami offered Harrison Bailey who's a, who's a kid that I know you, know you know he's he works with uh, Friend of the show Tony Ballard, who we spent some time with this weekend as we both actually watched Harrison play and I think if we would have seen him out there we wouldn't have thought, hey that kid's an eighth grader, right I mean he's six three No he looks
0: hundred. like yeah he looks like a high school kid for sure.
1: But so he he was kind of well-known, and I think his development is kind of well beyond some guys like Tate Martell and David Sills or whoever that guy was that ended up going to West Virginia that plays Wait wide Wait he's taller
0: than Tate Martell is right now, right? Tate Martell, who was a senior in high school and one of the top <laughs> well, he's of about, quarterbacks.
1: <laughs> he's about four inches
0: taller than Tate Martell <laughs> yeah, is right I now. Yeah, just wanted to right. put that out there.
1: So I understand why Miami wanted to offer and get in early on him. Uh, the other quarterback they offered was... Uh, I think Mark Rick's nephew, which I thought was kind of an odd story. Like, I didn't see why they felt the need to offer him at that point. I mean, I think he's listed at six feet tall, but I went on his huddle page and he was listed at like 5'10", 140 or something like that. So,
0: yeah, Maybe Mark more... lost a golf game to his brother or something, man. I mean, like, there any number of reasons why that could have happened, right?
1: Well, I guess the kid is Brad Johnson's son. We all remember Brad Johnson. uh didn't he win this? Did he win the Super Bowl? Yeah, I remember. I think yeah, I
0: remember him most as uh, Tampa Bay. Quarterback. Yeah, yeah, Bucks quarterback, right?
1: Right. So I think he won the Super. Who knows? I, it was defense wins championships, Rob. You know that, so I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pay attention Man. to Hoop, who was on offense. Um, but but it's definitely weird. I mean, I, when I when I was doing the story on Bailey getting the offer, I searched and I think. There were nine players with offers in that 2020 class, and seven of them were from Georgia. So this is definitely a Southeast issue. Like, you know, kids kids in Oregon aren't getting offered in the eighth grade. Or, no, you know, I'll tell you whatever.
0: what, the USC is pretty notorious for doing these kind of things, or at least they were under old coaching staffs, right? They'd offered some Texas kids in the past. and uh, You know, USC has offered some young guys. Other schools have done it. I don't think it's technically a Southeast thing. But here's my problem with the And this can really be extended to a lot of recruiting until signing day, but it's especially, you know, prevalent when you're offering eighth graders. Those offers are fake, man. Like, no matter what they say, what's going to happen is, all right, this is the coaching thought process behind these offers. I'll offer this eighth grader. If he develops, hey, I was the first one to offer you. Don't forget that. If he doesn't, I'll just stop calling him. (laughs) I mean, So, you know, the offer is contingent on how you develop. They're not going to take a commitment. And even if they do, what does that really mean as an eighth grader? Um, It's, you know, it's low risk, high reward. Uh, You're not risking anything. You don't have to take this kid's commitment. Uh, But you can, if he does develop into the player you think he's going to, use it as ammunition down the road to say, hey, you know, we were the first school that offered you. You Remember that? You were in eighth grade. We really saw something in you. Uh, But you're not bound to anything if you're a coach. So there's really, you don't lose anything. Why not offer every eighth grader in the country?
1: Well, we get into this big national discussion every time something like this happens. I think the last really famous, you know, eighth grader to start getting offers was Dylan Moses, who is now a five star. He got, I think, he got LSU and Alabama as an eighth grader uh, last year. We had Owen Papo, who's from uh, Grayson High School up here in Atlanta. Uh, he's got like thirty offers now or something after his freshman year. So, I think Bailey's going to probably have. 10, 10 offers by the time the spring ends? Well, I um, thought he was
0: very good in the limited that I saw of him. I mean, but of course, I mean, you never really know what's going to happen with these guys, right? I mean, if he keeps that tra- tra- trajectory, uh, he's going to be fine. I mean, I thought I was very impressed with him, but man, it's like I said, there's no risk in it, though, so why not? Right. You're better
1: off as a prospect to get, say you get two offers as a freshman and then you don't get any for two years you're better off to get two offers this summer before your senior year because if you're at a camp and you earn an offer, that means the coach is ready to take you right there on the spot. So um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You and I both are not in favor of offering middle schoolers. I think the record shows that. But like you said, the coaches have nothing to lose. They don't have to face the media. Like Mark Rick doesn't have to answer any questions about it because he's covered by the NCAA. So it. It's a it's weird genius, trend. really.
0: Like I don't know that I'm against it because it. I mean, really, it's genius. There's no risk. Like the only thing it can do is help you <laughs> if you're a coach.
1: <laughs> well, so exactly. You could just you don't like I said you don't have to talk to anyone about it. You don't have to face you don't have to face uh, you know hard hitting local beat writers you know pushing the buttons about it. Which is I'm surprised we haven't had some kind of local columnist try to pin down Mark Richt and and put the screws to him on the topic. Uh, or another coach it doesn't have to be Rick but it, it's an interesting trend it's something that we're going to continue to follow especially because like I said you know I'll be dealing with Bailey for five years now I'd basically be my son by the time he graduates high school uh, <laughs> so, anyway uh, our, another yeah. quarterback who just got an offer today from uh, the University of Georgia Davis Mills uh, we talked about him um, he's, Yeah, he's in,
0: quickly becoming a favorite topic of this podcast.
1: Well, you would have loved you would have loved it today. So he gets the offer from Georgia. Now he's a the number twenty five player in the country. Davis Mills. He lives in Atlanta. He's got thirty offers. Georgia has not offered him this whole time. They just weren't interested. weren't interested. They get the new coaching staff in. Jim Cheney comes in from Pitt, a uh, school that he'd already offered him at. He actually offered him before that when he was at Arkansas as well. He he comes in. They finally get Mills to campus today, and they offer him. And I, you know, I call, uh, I, Davis texted me and said, Yeah, you can call me now. We're driving back. And I called him and said, Hey, Davis, how's it going? And he was like, Fine. <laughs> you know, like, he, he could have, you know, he's like, It's pretty cool. I mean, the kid does not get excited about anything. I think, uh, Nick and I did a video interview with him earlier this year where he said the word awesome, uh, a, a thousand times maybe in like a four minute interview. <laughs> he just kept saying, it's pretty awesome. It's awesome. He's got a lot of Josh Rosen uh, kind of really like I don't really care about a whole lot uh, when it comes to this recruiting process, and, which, you know, you and I both like.
0: Yeah, but maybe not as surly as Rosen, right? Like Rosen had that I don't really care attitude but was not above taking shots at anybody that was like anywhere near him. Like, oh, that's another quarterback. That guy sucks. <laughs> right. My I favorite can... <laughs> thing about Rosen ever.
1: Yeah, D- Davis is a little more reserved, but I, I could tell. I bet behind closed doors he – uh you know he lets his opinions be known, but it, anyway, I, obviously I like him. You know he's the number 25 player in the country. Uh, we have him ranked way higher than anyone else, which of course uh, no one will say we were right on when everyone else moves him up. Uh, we'll just we're just wrong when we have guys ranked lower than other people. Of course, but yeah, <laughs> per 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 our jobs. Uh, so the the reason I wanted to talk about him now, Georgia gets in the mix. When the last time we talked about him, we, we were talking like he was bound for Stanford. So now all of a sudden we have Georgia and the, the quarterback dominoes. Now they're right in the mix because they have also offered Jake Bentley. Jake Bentley is c- kind of viewed, as, in my opinion, as Stanford's backup plan to Mills. So And then, and then we have Jake Fromm who's committed to Alabama. So, See, and so you tie
0: in South Carolina here too, man, because if Bentley doesn't get into Stanford or Stanford gets somebody else – I think Bentley's fallback is South Carolina. So, I mean, there's all kinds of ways this can go, right?
1: The way I kind of see it going, uh, Mills is also looking heavily at UCLA as well, speaking of Rosen. So that tells you what UCLA thinks of uh, the similarities between the two of them. I personally think Mills goes to Stanford. If I were picking right now, based on talking to him today, he's going out there on a visit this weekend. I think Mills goes to Stanford, and then I think... If Georgia can't flip from, I think they take Bentley. Do you think Bentley, an Alabama kid, would pick Georgia over South Carolina, where his father is the running backs
0: coach? No, I, I don't. Um, I think that I think that South Carolina is the backup to Stanford. I think he want Stanford. I think that, you know, it would be – it's going to be quite, you know, for Kirby Smart, it's going to be quite an uphill battle there. I don't think it's impossible, uh, but, you know, I think that it's hard. Family ties are one thing when you have, like – A tradition of going to a school, I think those are easier to break than when you have a family member currently at the school. I think that those are a little bit stronger than, you know, my dad played at the school. Uh, If you have somebody on the coaching staff, nine times out of ten, you're not going to go in the opposite direction no matter what. You know, I won't call it impossible. But I think the pecking order for Bentley, anyway, and the impression I've always gotten from talking to him is Stanford, uh, South Carolina. But, of course... Georgia hasn't really pressed yet, so there's no telling if that gets shaken up. If Georgia misses on some of these other quarterbacks and starts pressing on Bentley, maybe we see a different attitude. Uh, maybe Bentley starts saying different things. But for the time being, it looks like it's the other two schools.
1: So if you, so if you're if you're a Georgia fan personally, I think Mills is. Uh, well, I think well obviously any three of the quarterbacks are all very talented. I think Mills is a good fit. I, I really like Fromm. Nick actually went down and saw Jake play uh, this fall, and we're talking about a guy who. Has that, uh, you know, like a like a little Tebow-esque build in him? You know, yeah, he's, he's a six... big dude. I saw
0: him at Florida State's camp, and they loved him there. Jimbo liked him a lot, and I saw him throwing next to Jake Allen, uh, neither of whom are committed to Florida State now. But we're both at the camp last summer, and I mean, I thought I thought the world was him. It's the only time I've ever seen him, so small sample size and all, but I thought he looked very good.
1: Yeah, he's about six foot, six one, about 200, 200 plus, right? I mean, he's yeah, like... he's got
0: he's got like my shoulders, you know, he's got like the the, the broad shoulder build.
1: Well, he got pretty mad at me actually last week when I mentioned that Mills was bigger than him. Uh, he took offense to that. But Mills is tall. Mills is about six four. So we give Mills. Yeah, Mills the is taller.
0: Day. Yeah, and Fromm is a little bit you know wider.
1: <laughs> well, in a good way, not wider. Like yeah, no, I'm not, wider. Yeah, I'm
0: not. I'm not. I'm yeah, not. I'm not calling him fat. He's just you know, he's <laughs> Tebow-esque.
1: So, so, does there any situation where we see? Alabama kind of getting left holding the bag here because if if Georgia could flip, say Mills goes to Stanford, Bentley to South Carolina, and then Georgia puts all its emphasis on flipping from, does Alabama end up scrambling and stealing somebody else quarterback? I mean, do we have potential for all hell breaking loose here?
0: Yeah, I mean, but you think Alabama can mosey out west and take one of those dorks, right?
1: <laughs> I don't know what the West Coast quarterback. All of a sudden, Rob, I've got There's four always a four- guy in
0: California, right? There's always like just some dude out there. I mean,
1: the- yeah. Well, I've got four four-star quarterbacks for the first time in my tenure at Rivals. All of them in the state of Georgia, and then I've got two. Uh, I've got a couple three stars that have you know several sec offers as well so i'm not used to we're not supposed to have good quarterbacks down here in the southeast what's happening that culture is changing all of a sudden
0: yeah my slim pickings in my area after the jake allens and mac joneses and bentley's of the world uh there are some guys that, that will be on fbs rosters but i don't think there are any that alabama's going to be looking at real hard outside of the top guys
1: all right, another big commitment we had this week, uh, Lee Anthony Williams to Clemson uh, in a special video produced by our favorite uh, producer, producer uh, Nick Kruger, who is also now the State of Texas Analyst. Big shout to him on the promotion, uh, which means he's probably leaving us here in the southeast and heading to Texas uh, to move, which is going to be depressing for me and you. Uh, yeah, we're going to have
0: to get a new producer. I mean, Nick will always be our producer at Meritus, but will we have to get like somebody else?
1: Well, I hope he keeps doing it because somebody else would mean I probably have to do it so how <laughs> nah, we could fight a dude right <laughs> well maybe I'll put a an ad up on internships dot com but other than that, I think uh, I think the onus would fall on on me to produce the show but anyway, getting back so so Nick did a special commitment video where he almost got arrested uh, at the Marta uh, which is the you know the public transport here in Atlanta where we shot where Nick shot the video with the Anthony. I wanted to, so if you want to see that, go ahead and check it out on, on, uh, on Rivals.com, uh, our Clemson site, Tiger Illustrated, or you can find it, uh, on YouTube, on YouTube.com slash Rivals Features, which is where some of you might be actually listening to this right now. We do get a lot of traffic from our YouTube page. So Lee Anthony, uh, a four star top 100 kid from Roswell, the same school that Trey Lamar came from last year, who was a five star linebacker. It seems like you know, Clemson is kind of not afraid. They just got a guy out of Tennessee. They're getting a guy out of Georgia. We know they recruit Florida well. Once again, it seems like we praise them every week, but this is another big win for them, right?
0: Yeah, we should clear something up before we get into that, though. I mean, you mentioned Nick almost getting arrested, but to explain. It's not like he was him and Lee Anthony were like train surfing or anything like that. They were just filming in a MARTA cart without permit, correct? I mean, it's not like they were doing some kind of hooligan act.
1: They weren't doing anything wrong, first of all, because it's, it's called it's called uh, Freedom of the Press. Welcome to the club, Marta. It's a good thing I wasn't there, or else yeah. I 100% yeah, would have been arrested. arrested. Yeah, there's, no, there's no doubt. Actually, uh, Lee father said it was a good thing you weren't there, Woody, because you would have gone to jail. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, yeah. So they didn't do anything bad. Marta, yeah, Marta, we, we, can,
0: we can move into the, kind of what you were saying. Clemson's one of those programs that's sort of forced to do it, and then they do it very well. There's not... There is talent in South Carolina, but it's not. You're not going to make your living in the state if you're Clemson. Um, they do so well of expanding that reach and getting what they want out of other states. And you know, I've said it about Florida on this show so many times. Nobody recruits Florida better than Clemson when they're not a state school. Like besides the in-state guys, Clemson is by far doing the best job in Florida and have been for years. This isn't a new thing by any by any stretch of the imagination. And now you see them going to Tennessee. Uh, they can go into a lot of different places, and, you know, it definitely helps that they're playing for national championships. Uh, a little bit easier to recruit out of state when you're playing those marquee games, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, and, and you know, Lee Anthony's a big pickup. He's well-connected here at Atlanta. He's really close with Xavier McKinney, who's committed to Alabama, who is one of his high school teammates. Also close with William Poole, uh, a Rivals 100 guy. Who, who said he's down to Georgia and uh, Florida, but I have a feeling we're going to be in for a, a lot of drama when it comes to his recruitment over the next 11 months. So um, I, I really like the addition. We talk about Lee Anthony as a player. I mean, you know, these one of these tall defensive backs seems like, you know, coaches really put a premium on getting these guys that are six feet tall that can play, and uh, I really think Lee Anthony is, is one of those guys. Uh, all right, Rob, speaking of coaches... I was in Nashville on Sunday, and I went over and, and had a nice uh, chat with Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason, actually a lengthy interview as we continue our uh, our coaching interview series.
0: This is the third straight episode with an SEC head coach, right? I mean, this is quickly becoming the go-to destination for them.
1: So anyway, let's get into it. Derek, Woody Womack, myself, with uh, head coach Derek Mason of Vanderbilt talking All things Commodores. We're joined now by Vanderbilt head coach, Derek Mason. We're sitting in your office here uh, (laughs) on the lovely Vanderbilt campus. Thanks for coming on.
2: Hey, Woody, man. Appreciate you. I I definitely appreciate you, uh, you know, fitting us into your window of time. I know it's been busy for you, man. You've been, uh, you know, hitting it cross country, and, you know, you just came out of the southeast, so thank you.
1: Right, yeah. we're I'm actually here in Nashville to see a lineman event later today over uh, uh, with the Playmakers Academy. We know some guys you deal with there as well. Right. I want to... First, before we get into the big topics, let's talk a little bit about the class you just signed a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The crown jewel was kind of, from our perspective, at least rankings-wise, was mm-hmm. Juwan Williams, a right. local guy who you held off a lot of big-time programs. Just kind of break that down and how big that was to, to have that big local guy in the fold.
2: You know, Juwan was dynamic for us. Uh, you know, obviously, when he's a homegrown product, but, you know, had had most of the SEC uh, and, and, and most of the big five, just in terms of schools who wanted you know his talents. Uh, for us, I think it came down to, as most recruiting does, relationships and being able to uh, you know and figure out I and mean, exactly um, and what what fit him. Uh, you know, trying to make make sure that he knew and understood that. Um, and part of coming here had more to do with the opportunity to not only play early. But you know, I mean, to, to, to get a world class education, and and you know, hopefully following some of the footsteps of, of, of guys that have played for me before. Uh, obviously, I'm the defensive coordinator, but I mean, I sit in the secondary room, um, and I'm hands on with these corners. Um, and Jawan's a dude that has, you know, in my opinion, uh, you know, he, he's he's got multiple position flexibility. I think he can play corner or safety, and I think. You know, I mean, even sliding inside at nickel versus big receivers in the slot. So I thought that that signing was important for us. I mean, it was a key linchpin in what we need to do in this defense to be better in the secondary.
1: Uh, the city as a whole, we've seen, I mean, you you recruited this area a little bit before even you yeah. came here. The talent level seems to be increasing. He's one of those guys. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the, the, the talent in this city and how it compares with some areas you've recruited elsewhere in the country?
2: I, I think now I'm in the mid-state area more than any other time the town in the mid-state area is just starting to to, to blow up. Um, It's starting to get better. Um, I remember growing up in Arizona and... Nobody really recruiting Arizona for a long time, and then all of a sudden it went through a population growth. And anytime you get a population growth, man, you're going to get you're going to get an influx of talent. Well, that's really what's happened in the mid state area. You're starting to see so much, you know, in talent. You know, either moving in or talent that have just grown up. And and you know, when the balls become a little more important, the training's become a little better, and guys are doing it year round. So uh, I believe what I'm starting to see in the mid state area is a true influx of talent. Uh, and you know, it's been evidenced in the last you know five or six recruiting classes uh you know, slowly but surely, uh, you know, Tennessee is starting to become a big blip on the map. whereas before, it, it, it was a small wrinkle and, and, and a little bang.
1: That kind of actually makes it harder for you, though, because we saw, right. we see LSU, Texas even Oklahoma coming in here trying to get guys. Mm-hmm. What, what's that, like? what's the strategy for you to try to pitch the hometown appeal to to the guys in the mid-state area?
2: You know, it, it, it's important, you know, everybody comes from a different you know, home dynamic. You know, I mean, some come from, you know, situations where they want to leave. Right. And, 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 you know, you can't fight that dynamic. But what we really try to do is, you know, for a lot of mid-state kids, I mean, they've been in Nashville but they haven't been over to Vanderbilt. I, I believe it's important to get on this campus. You get on this campus and you get a different feel from all the other schools in this conference. I mean, the vibe, you know, on this campus uh, I mean, is definitely, you know, huge in, in terms of, you know, southern hospitality. You know, I mean, it's a great place to be, I mean, the fraternities, sororities, but I think, man, you get a true sense of, you know, in mean, this place and what it can do and what it, you know, attempts to do in the SEC which is compete at a high level. I don't care If you're talking about football, basketball, baseball, uh, you know, it's important. To these student athletes here, man, that they try to find a way to carve their carve out their own niche in this conference, and you know Vanderbilt is a place, man, where you can do it. Uh, World class education, uh, and you talk about the SEC being one of the premier, if not the premier, you know, conference in the country. And then you talk about in the city of Nashville around it. I think once once you get them on campus, once you get them around, you know, Coach Dobson, the strength and conditioning program, once you get them around, uh, Coach Corbin, Stallings, man, you get a chance to see exactly what this environment is. It's much more competitive than people believe and the last part of that is this you know I never want to feel like I've got to apologize for being uh intelligent I don't want our kids to you know come to this place talking about okay well I I, I gotta prove I'm not a nerd that's that's not what this thing is this thing is embracing all of what you can be athletics academics you know uh you know uh, you know sitting in 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 the hub of college football uh man you can have it all so this let's, let's make sure that we show that
1: now quarterback obviously you know since you've been here um, a kind of a hot-button issue. You went through like, yeah. a lot of guys for your first year, and then last year we saw a little bit more stability of position. Deuce Wallace, a guy from, he, you know, he's from East Tennessee. Right. Technically, I mean, he came from Texas, I believe, before that. Right. Um, what does he bring that's kind of di- maybe different skill set-wise, or what, what was it about him that, that really caught your eye? You
2: know, when you, watch, <clears throat> when you watch Deuce play, Deuce plays with, you know, a confidence. You know, or that sort of you know, reminiscent of uh, a Johnny Football. You know, he loves the game. He makes the guys around him better. You know, he competes from the time he steps on the field and until the you know whistle blows and the game's over. And I believe that's important because part of that is leadership, but part of that is just full out competes. So when you watched him play, mean, um, uh, not only could he throw the football, not only could he extend plays, but he made the dudes around him better. And when you're talking about the quarterback position. Uh, that guy's got to be able to take care of the football. He's got to be able to lead men. He's got to be able to be big in the moment. But more than that, man, he's got to he's got to make sure, man, that the dude's around him believe him. And I believe Deuce Wallace, when you look at the body of work, who he is and how he competes, you know, man, his, his believability factor is 10. Right. So for me, man, I'm always going to go after a guy that's a 10. Did
1: he kind of set the tone in that recruiting class once he joined to help reel in some of the other guys?
2: Oh, Deuce was off the chain now. I mean, Deuce... Deuce was the catalyst. I mean, it, he he knew where he wanted to go, he knew where he wanted to be. Uh, I mean, we committed to him, he committed to us, and that dude, you know, set about um uh, I mean, recruiting like no other I've ever seen. I mean, he reached out to everybody, I man. He set up he set up the chat the chat room or the chat group uh, man, for that signing class. And as dudes were coming on board or guys were interested, man, he was reaching out, man, he touched those guys. And I thought that was important. Again, I man, it's all about being able to relate to these dudes and have these dudes relate to each other. And I thought, uh, I man, Deuce did a phenomenal job of just tapping into, you know, I mean, what, what some of these guys wanted to know. Okay, I man, you look at a guy like, you know, Shauna Wee from Hawaii. Well, you know, Sean was committed to UCLA, you know, man, he he's going there, but as soon as he backed out of that a little bit, came out here, saw some things that he liked, you know, Deuce and him sort of hit it off, and then, you know, that 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 sort of, you know, leads to Josiah, uh, you know, man, man coming on board. So I believe, you know, Deuce was infectious. I mean, he got guys to 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 look at things differently, see it the way he saw it, and I think, you know, that's what you're talking about too, in terms of leadership.
1: Now you have uh we the, the quarterback the quarterback situation going into the fall you we were right. talking before the show you said you think you feel like Vanderbilt's got a ton of talent at that position right how do you kind of see the, that competition shaking out how important is it to have an established guy here now that it's your your third year and having the the guy that's kind of the face of the
2: of the team you talked about us you know going through quarterbacks and you know i i don't believe i'm the only coach in the country that's had to go through that everybody's trying to find you know that guy but uh, I mean, towards the end of last year, obviously uh, Johnny had his struggles, um, and then Kyle Shermer comes on the scene and and you know I and mean, plays plays you know at at a, at a pretty good level, you know, I meant for a freshman, right. you know, especially in the yeah. SEC late in the season. But you know, here's what I know: every year recalibrates, you start over. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do I want Kyle Shermer to be you know the starter going into this deal? Absolutely. You 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 like for that to happen, but I'm not going to crown him. Okay, man, what I want him to do is go out there and and, and show us, show his teammates, show the guys around him that he is the quarterback. Because you know what? It's not about who I tap as the quarterback. It's who they believe should be the quarterback. Hey, man, man, if your players believe in you, then they play for you. If they don't believe in you, then they don't play for you. And that's – it's still – you know, coaches coach, but players still play the game. And, you know, man, players want to be led by players, man, who can exude, uh, you know, those those traits that look like winning. So as I look at it now – uh, and we go into the spring, I've got four guys capable, uh, you know, I mean, of stepping out there and, and being the quarterback. But only one guy can start. And that's the way it's gonna be. Hopefully when we come out of spring, we're gonna be able to uh, you know I and mean, put segments together where, you know, I mean there's two seven on sevens going on at the same time, two teams going on at the same time. Right. So we're getting more reps so we're able to evaluate what guys can do and what guys, you know, I mean, are struggling with. So I believe by doing that, we're gonna give guys a fair shake. Uh, I and mean, we're gonna take it through the summer and uh, when it's all said and done, when we line up uh, versus South Carolina on that Thursday night, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a, a great idea who the quarterback is. And it's going to be way before mm-hmm. I mean, we get in the fall camp.
1: <laughs> now, the biggest improvement probably, uh, at least from the outside perspective of the team, from year one to year two was the defense. You took over right. as the D.C. I mean, that's you know what you were known for coming in here. Mm-hmm. What, was that? It, I mean, I don't know how much credit you give yourself, how much you give the, the talent, but I mean, you guys have one of the best defenses in the country, I think statistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that come about? Where you said, "Look, okay, I'm going to play to my strengths here and step in and take over that
2: those duties." You know what? I interviewed a bunch of guys. I mean, West McGriff, you know, I man who's now at Auburn, I believe. I mean, I, I mean, I interviewed maybe four or five guys, and mm-hmm. you know what? What I decided was. Rather than speaking through somebody again, especially since I had seen the team, I had seen what we had gone through, I knew the pieces that were here, it didn't make sense for me to bring somebody in still have to speak through somebody <laughs> in terms of what I wanted. Right. So, I mean, I felt like uh, I probably had a better post than anybody uh, on where we were. So I decided, and this, this wasn't... You know, About me, man. But it was about what was going to give us the fastest results with our kids in the system. Okay, that I brought here. So, in doing so, in taking over as defensive coordinator, what I felt I did, I simplified the defense. Okay, I played to our guys' strengths. Okay, and they played great ball because because of who they are. We made it simple so they can play fast. Right. And I and I think that's what you got to do as a coach. You know, everybody's got scheme. Okay, I, mean, I couldn't I couldn't get inundated in the scheme. I had to get inundated in what they could do. And so we made it simple. They played fast. I think they became confident. We played, you know, great red zone defense. I thought we were, you know, pretty good third down. I think we finished in the top, you know, in five or six in the country and in third down uh, defense. And those are things that we can hang our hat on a little bit. But, again, it recalibrates every year. You know, I mean, we lose some players in Stephen Weatherly and, and and Caleb Azubike. But, you know, I mean, what we gain are, you know, some young guys with some experience and a groupman that's well-versed in this defense. So now I can add one or two more calls to spring. Last year I only had four calls defensively. this year I may have six.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Getting back to recruiting, you came from the West Coast. You were in the Pac-12, you were right. at Stanford, which is you know a, kind of a tough place to recruit because of it is. a lot of different factors. What was the one thing when you moved to the South, being at Vanderbilt, that, that – you kind of, I guess, kind of took you by surprise because it is a tough transition to come in, especially the way you did. I think you didn't have a whole lot of time before that first signing day. when you Yeah, took, 13 days. Right, yeah. So what was, what was that like, that, that period of, you know, coming in, being a head coach for the first time and then adjusting to recruiting in a totally different atmosphere? You know,
2: hectic. And, and part of it was, you know, I mean, trying to identify exactly who we were going to be. You know, when you're looking at your first recruiting class and – and it's a little different because you, you've lost players that were committed to you, and now you've got to go out and find guys. Uh, and then you're trying to establish new parameters in terms of what the GPA model is going to be, what the what the test score model is going to be. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, I don't know if that's going to fly out here. Uh, you know, like in, in this conference. Remember, we did it. You had to start someplace. You know, if I would have, you know, acquiesced to to, to to saying, okay, I'll put it off till next year, and I'll just go take anybody. First of all, I don't know if those kids would have gotten in school, uh, you know, you know, second of all, I don't believe that we would have been able to lay you know some foundation pieces because uh, we weren't we weren't as successful as we wanted to be that first year. But we got the kids in, and the culture started to shift a little bit, just in terms of uh, I mean, what I needed it to be. So um, it was a rough first year. I mean, we learned a lot. This conference was a big dog conference. Recruiting is all year long, and uh, you know, it's highly competitive. So you better make sure not only do you know what your niche is, but, but, but you tap into other you know, <laughs> niches as well, and you got to make sure that you recruit every day. So that part was important. I now understand that. I mean, our recruiting has gone much better because of that. Um, for me, it's definitely the, the rankings matter. I think some coaches say stars don't matter. They do matter. You know, you, know, you know why they matter? They matter because what it, what it looks like to your fan base, what it looks like you know, and to the people that follow football. Football's big in this country. Right, yeah. so, so, so what we needed to do is make sure that we educate people on who we are and how we recruit. Because it may not look like everybody else's model. And I know where Stanford's model is now. And it's a pretty good model. But it took them a while to get there. Stanford didn't, didn't start there. It took some wins, some Rose Bowl victories, uh, you know, some 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 conference appearances before it got that way. So that's just what we're pushing towards. Very similar model, but, you know, differences in terms of where we are and where we need to get to.
1: And you made some shifts, of, so especially when you started, the, the you know, out west. People don't offer as early. We talked about that earlier yeah. off off off, uh, off air. but. Now, so your first year, you kind of I think I think I remember you guys were like, "Look, we're not handing out underclassmen offers right away," and that right. was kind of part of that strategy. Now we see you, you know, offer younger kids. Yeah, what was that shift in philosophy? What brought that about? And how, have you do you feel like it's working more to, to, to get people here on campus and, and stuff like that?
2: It is working. Uh, it, it, it's been it's been because of the 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 talk, the exposure uh, that that you know people like yourself you really have on on. On what's happening in this college landscape. We have to listen to what's happening outside of these walls, you know, Mm -hmm. too. I I think there's a bigger presence. I think there's a bigger, uh, uh, you know, uh, thought process as to how recruiting is being dealt with nowadays because it's just being sped up so much. And, you know, initially I'm like, ah, well, you know, I don't know if we want to go, you know, that young. But really, sometimes you know, I mean, young men are closed off to going anyplace else. Once they've made a decision, that's where they're going to go. They're locked in. Yeah. They're, they're, they're locked in. So I think part of it was, was you know, trying to meet in the middle, trying to find out, you know, man, what's it going to take, man, to get a young man on this campus so we can uh, really see what he is, you know, compared to what we want. And really, you know, I mean, how do we accommodate, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of these, you know, I mean, young people nowadays that are getting offers and they equate offers to being liked or not liked. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I believe that's important. I mean, if, if they feel like, okay, well, you know, I, I, I had three, uh, I had, you know, nine offers as a sophomore. Okay, but you guys didn't come in until, you know, in the summer of my junior year. Uh, you know what? <laughs> they, they liked me more. And, you know, we, we, we sort of, you know, gawk at that a little bit. But it's the truth. You know, it's their perception of what the reality is. Okay, and their perception is, well, these schools like me, you didn't, and and this may be the reason why I wind up going here versus coming to you. So I think you got to meet them halfway in the middle. It's not necessarily, you know, uh, exactly where you want to be, but it's not exactly where they want to be, too. So, I mean, you meet them in the middle. I mean, you try to make sure that you do your due diligence. You get the offers out there. Uh, you know, sometimes they're camp contingent. You want to get them on your campus, and then you move from there.
1: Uh, building relationships, I'm sure, has was, been a big part for you. I know you're, you're more way more connected now in the state than you right. were a year ago, and I'm sure a year from now in the state and even in the whole region. Right. Being But being an outsider, you know, I'm, I'm not from the South. I, you know, I kind of faced that when I first moved here. It was kind of a weird, like, you're sort of viewed as... You know, a Yankee, oh, you, even correct. though you're from Arizona, <laughs> be like, we weren't in the Civil War, you know what I mean? <laughs> But, but you're, you're sort of viewed as that. How, how uh, tough has it been to kind of break down those walls? And now, how do you feel about where you are relationship wise with the kind of the influencers in, in this city and in the southeast?
2: You know what? Uh, you know, I've embraced it. You know, I came in as an outsider and you know but to some I'm still an outsider but it's like me and you talked earlier I, I've, I've had a chance to you know, acclimate myself to ways in the south and when in Rome do as the Romans you know I mean, I'm in the south uh, and, I, and I fully embrace it I embrace the football I embrace the food I embrace the pageantry of what what, what, what the south gives to college football and that's and that's, you know, a lot of fanfare and a lot of enthusiasm. And so for me, it's just been about, you know, learning, learning the core values of, of how football is viewed down here. And then just really just trying to weave that into my fabric and, and, and continuing to get out and meet people, understand, you know, exactly, uh, you know, really just uh, you know, educate them on what our brand is and have them educate me on how they see things. And you know what? Again, it's about trying to find a way to meet in the middle. So, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely trying to embrace and be growth-minded about, uh, you know, what, what's, what's out there, what's available. It's been fun for me. You know, it's new for my family. It's new for me. But um, I think when you talk to coaches, I think when you talk to, you know, I mean, people I mean, who've seen us recruit, they say at the end of the day we're fair. We treat the kids right. Uh, man, we we want to make sure, man, that we continue to build our brand and make it about who we are, not about trying to be like somebody else. So it's not about being bigger. It's about being better.
1: My last question. We'll end on a light note. you yeah. Your name Derek Mason. You live in Nashville. <laughs> what is it? How, do you even correct people anymore when people get you confused about Derek Mason from yeah. the Titans or the, and, and Derek Mason? You. I mean, you're the same person, right? As far it, as they're it, concerned, it,
2: we we are the same person. Now now, Greg. He's lived in this town a long time, and, and, and we bump into each other. We talk to each other on the radio because uh, he hosts a radio show. Uh, and Derek, man, I love him, man. Great dude, great teacher, great coach, uh, you know, really good on the radio. Uh, but, but time and time again, I mean, people stop me. And you know what? We, we actually drive. You know the same car. Oh no. So 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 what happens is, you know, people people pull up and they honk and they keep honking. And I keep looking and I don't know them. And my 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 window's halfway tinted, so I know they really can't see me. But you know, in the end, when I do roll down the window, I I still wave. But you know what? I I try to be nice and accommodate people, man, because I want people to feel silly.
1: Right. Yeah. You just say, oh yeah, yeah. You just kind of nice shake it off, you. right? Yeah. Nice. That's to meet funny. You. We're gonna have to get a picture of the two you guys in the same place at the same time. Absolutely. So everybody knows that you're two different people. So, <laughs> all right, coach. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it good luck and uh, we'll talk again soon
2: appreciate it Woody thank
1: you well so there it is Rob Uh, Derek Mason himself on the record saying stars do matter what do you think about that
0: you know I mean I think he's not the first coach to say it you know who's a really big proponent of the star system is Rich Rodriguez in Arizona as you hear more sirens around my Miami townhome I'm sorry about that (laughs) I can just hear them pouring in Uh, so a lot of coaches are like that I think there are some that downplay it publicly Uh, Mason obviously not one of them Uh, but Rodriguez has always been on the record and the ones that don't say it on the record always say it off the record. I mean, they won't say that our rankings are gospel, but they won't (laughs) disparage them either. Well, and
1: you know, I, I personally, I enjoyed sitting down with Mason. We had a, we had a really good talk before we, we hit record. He wanted to have a, you know, I was there for, I don't even know, an hour, an hour and a half. I actually skipped I missed lunch because I had to get to the event because, because we were there hanging out for so long. So anytime, uh. A coach like that can step in and give us a give us time. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you have any feedback for us, or if you have any coaches you'd like to hear on the show, I mean, obviously, other than the Nick Saban who we are efforting. Uh, uh, yeah, get, that's,
0: that's the goal, you know, that's the white whale for commitment issues, right, is the Saban interview, you know, when, well, I, ask him, I, think, when, I, when I ask him about his sideline attire, like I did Dan Mullen, <laughs> so what did he <laughs> say about that?
1: Well, you know, De- uh, at the end there, I, we, you know, Derek Mason and I talked about him being named Derek Mason, living in Nashville, where another person named Derek Mason, uh, who plays football, lives, so that was also, we, we try to keep it a little light, but uh, if you if you want to hear anybody... Get at us on Twitter, at Rivals Podcast, Rivals Podcast at Yahoo.com. Now, the time that we all wait for, and Recommendations. Rob, uh, I, I, you said you weren't sure what you wanted to talk about. I know you have one recommendation that I may remind you about, uh, if, if you don't have one off the top of your head.
0: You know, I bought the Mindy Kaling book. Uh, I've read a page. Um, I got distracted. Okay, well, listen...
1: No, no, Mindy Kaling, you made me listen to the Justin Bieber song
0: ten thousand times over a twenty-four hour oh, period. Man. It's not just the song; that whole album is what the youths of America call a banger, man. Our boy Timberlake, I think, is crossed over from you know hated uh, guy with the weird haircut, and he's he's edging up on Justin Timberlake territory. I think he's obviously not there yet, but I think we could see a transformation of how the world thinks of Justin Bieber. Everybody makes fun of you until you release an album like that. And then all of a sudden your reputation changes, and in the midst of this weekend of me making you listen to that album, we saw a magazine cover in a grocery store with the headline said, it's time to forgive Justin Bieber. You know why that exists? Because that album is incredible. Uh, so whatever you think of Justin Bieber, I highly recommend downloading the album, listening to the whole thing over and over again as I made what he do, uh, and then maybe changing your opinion of him. Yeah, we were actually
1: driving through Orlando and Rob uh, was, was craving a Bieber fix and a Selena Gomez song was on, and I was like, I guarantee you that song's going to come on. We don't even have to change the station. And sure enough, uh, the next song uh, was Justin Bieber. So uh, I, I can't speak to the to the album as I have not listened to it, to the entire thing as many times as Rob has. But uh, I knew that was your recommendation, even if you didn't remember uh, how much you loved it. Yeah, no, it's great. I've still
0: been listening to it. I actually listened to some of it today at the gym. Uh, besides that, you know, the Kaling book I'm excited for. I'm going to read that on Many plane rides that we have coming up. You and I have to go cover the Los Angeles Rivals Camp, which will be a long, long flight. So maybe I'll read the Kaling book cover to cover, and I will talk about that on a future episode of the podcast.
1: Yeah, I'll actually be going straight from New Orleans to uh, my uh, home state of Oregon, where I will uh, maybe take an unofficial visit to Oregon State in Oregon if I can get uh, the coaches to let me in. So uh, we'll look forward to that a West Coast swing before we go to California as well. When it comes to my recommendation this week, it's going to be The Leftovers, the show on HBO, which a lot of people, I guess, found season one really depressing. Uh, maybe because I'm a depressed person, I don't know. I, I watched it; I thought it was it was pretty good. I'm almost all the way through season one, and everyone tells me season two is way better. So uh, I'm not super
0: familiar. The presence of this is kind of like Jesus-y, right? Though, right? It's like the rapture. It's like very well. I,
1: I, actually, the the the, the, the theme of the show is i think two percent of the population just vanishes and uh you know a lot of people then they get left behind instead of you know becoming spiritual they basically everyone stops going to church because they hate god if, <laughs> if he left them behind you know um so there, there are some religious themes but uh not a ton it's just there's a lot of you know it's from the damon Lindelof who was uh, one of the co co uh, showrunners of lost so there's a lot of uh you know, mystery stuff going on. Uh, so this which, isn't Jesus
0: propaganda, then?
1: No, 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 it's not uh, on that front. Even though you know, our audience here in the South that may enjoy that, but <laughs> yeah, uh, so, it's sorry about that, guys. It's uh, no, I, I, it's not. There's not a lot of religious themes going through. There is a priest, and and there's a couple, there's a, a cult presence and stuff like that. But yeah, it's definitely not like a. You know, left behind with Kirk Cameron. See, that's kind of see that. I think
0: that's kind of how I how I you know kind of drew comparisons there because the titles are similar and the subject matter is kind of similar. Uh, and, you know, I was raised Catholic. I'm a Catholic guy, so it's not like I'm a an anti God. I just like to keep my uh, my Jesus and my television separate. Well,
1: I enjoyed it quite a bit. And then uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to ranting, I I, I have a, I have one that I really you know went off on Twitter actually the other night. I am so sick of when did, first of all when did every airline employee become some type of stand-up comedian performer did, was there some type of thing that I missed <laughs>
0: no no man that's you that's because you fly southwest dude they don't do that no 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 no
1: no, no 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 the delta safety video is like my personal nightmare it's like the entire thing is funny it's like you guys are making fun of this plane potentially crashing and the whole thing is like you know, so it's, it's, I mean, Alpha's in it, and, you know, there's all I mean, it's brutal, <laughs> you know, it's,
0: dude. You know it's hilarious? The possibility of everybody on this aircraft dying.
1: Oh. Right. That's what the whole joke's about. Then you get on Southwest, and boy, this, this pilot kept calling Nashville Nashburg, and he did it three different times and didn't get one laugh, and then finally... I let loose with a really, really loud fake laugh, uh, and I was actually on the flight with the Lipsicum basketball team, and uh, boy, the Lipsicum guys got a real kick out of me mocking the pilot.
0: <laughs> man, you, you got to stay <laughs> off Southwest, man. I...
1: Well, the, the the reason I took Southwest is it was the only way to get direct flight from Orlando to Nashville, which is not an easy thing to As do. As you so know, I, I will
0: stay on American no matter what. I will take overnight flights that connect four times th- just to get my points man i'm not i'm not going anywhere else
1: well guess what you know alaska airlines is even worse with the uh, with the comedy routine that with the the flight attendants really hamming it up so me and one of the southwest attendants actually had it out he's like just cuz you can't hear people laughing back here doesn't mean they're not laughing and i was like this Wait, isn't you a fight
0: com- with the attendant you didn't even tell me about this <laughs> what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: because the guy the guy was trying to claim that people were laughing in the front of the plane and i couldn't hear him because i was in the back and I, my point was this isn't a this isn't a comedy show this is a flight it's nine o'clock at night or whatever like what you know saying the name of the city wrong is not funny like it's corny and it's lame just do you
0: it's highbrow humor that only appears uh, only appeals to the front of the plane
1: you uh yeah, yeah.
0: yeah you peasants in the back won't get it
1: the tailies. Speaking of speaking of lost, that's what the people who sat in the you know the tail section, which uh, landed on a separate part of the island. Spoiler alert. Uh, so the tailies. Yeah, we didn't get the humor in the back. But guess what? Airlines, cut it out. You're not funny. It doesn't make it, it, it. Just speak as little as possible. Because when I'm trying to watch The Last Dinosaur on the little video screen, I don't need which which would be on my not recommendations. By the way, uh, two thumbs down. I don't need a bunch of jokes, so anyway, that's it, now I'm, I'm just angry now, I'm sure you can hear it in
0: my voice. Uh, I'll skip it this week, and uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll be back next week, and maybe I'll be angry about something.
1: Yeah, don't text and drive, I think would be Rob's uh, r- r- rant and or recommendation, even though he's he's one who does it after getting rear-ended today.
0: Yeah, yeah, I did get plowed into by an old man, and I can't, I don't know if he was even texting, like, he was just old, and maybe not paying attention, like... <laughs> The
1: snowbirds. The snowbirds have yet to
0: leave uh, South Florida. So. He was very nice about it. Though he pulled over and was apologetic, and just said, "I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, you were just there." <laughs> yeah, yeah I, got, uh, I, I was
1: there. Last time I got in a car accident with an old man, it led to me uh, threatening to fight him. So, uh, and, and that's have... the difference between the two hosts of
0: Commitment <laughs> Issues.
1: All right, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. Actually, uh, Nick will join us as we record an episode. Uh, from South Florida, three of us together in Miami, so uh, we look forward to uh, to that, and once again please subscribe on iTunes uh, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Stitcher, whatever other way to subscribe, leave us a review we greatly appreciate it